exactly are we striving for? I've been wrestling with this with my wife, I think, but uh, for a little while. And uh, I feel like the list of the things we are supposed to be doing and need to accomplish are so very short. And yet, why is life so complicated with all these other things swirling around us? And thinking about this, I uh, thought back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I looked at what it said we should be striving for in these areas of uh, development of our life. And I find, uh, so he's got these five levels. The physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction. I can resonate with these things. And then he goes up this list, and it seems like a strange striving after things. So safety needs, personal security, but employment, resources, health, property, well, what is employment? It's a way of gaining resources. We want to be healthy. I wouldn't argue that that's something we actually need, but, um, but that's how this hierarchy works, right? We get those basic needs, and then we strive towards something greater. Property. Then, we move up to another level once those have been met and can feel loved and have a belonging. And this level is friendship, intimacy, family, a sense of connection. These seem renewed in importance. These seem of real, actual value. But once we've achieved that, we get to esteem, respect, self-esteem, status, recognition. Recognition from whom? Who do we need esteem from? Do we need it from a bunch of people who are gonna turn into dirt either before or after we do the same? Finally, self-actualization. The desire to become the most that one can be. That resonates again. But in whose eyes? In our eyes? In the eyes of the system that's going on around us. This feels like it all sets us up to be part of a system. A system that requires resources, namely money. Ed read this morning from Ecclesiastes, and that sounds like a man suffering from a midlife crisis. 
at the very least, an end-of-life realization. We venerate Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, for the wisdom of choosing wisdom above all else. And God allowed him to become wealthy as well. But in the end, what was wealth? What was wisdom? Solomon, another flawed human, Solomon was another flawed human who chased women and idols and power. He will not be forgotten in this world as you and I will. And at least his wisdom allowed him to have perspective in the end. Vanity, he said. It was all worthless in the end. In fact, the wisdom that attracted wealth attracted concubines, that attracted idols, that distracted from God. That is not worthless. That is of negative worth. And you remember Paul's, the words of Paul the Apostle. He would say, I consider it all loss. Here God has placed us in this world that we may know God. I dare say that we may know God differently than the angels do. I guess I guess to be loved by man in a way an angel who this world wasn't made for never could. But here he placed us and here we get caught up in the culture of this world. Its systems bend and pull and strain at our will seeking to distract us from the kingdom of God. As well, you've heard from Jesus already today. He tells of a man who didn't heed the warnings of King Solomon. No, he stored up on earth, but had nothing deposited deposited in his heavenly bank account. Goodness, if there is ever urgency to stop oneself and put a penny in your heavenly account, these words from Jesus should do so. I don't suggest that heaven can be bought or earned, as Jesus said, when said we want to be rich towards God. Today we're entering the world of the people of Colossae, or Colossae, or Colossae. I may flip between a few of these. Uh, I think uh, the normal pronunciation is none of these. Lamar introduced this letter three weeks ago, during which he reminded us of our inheritance and Christ's redemptive power. And it is work above Christ's redemptive power that Paul, the author of this letter, is fighting against. The Jewish contingent among the church there were piling rules and customs that Christ followers had no need to bear. 
He called these cultural traditions hollow and deceptive. The Gentile believers were being taught that they needed to go through the gate of Jewish customs to be fully in the kingdom of God. Paul exhorted them to recognize that Christ circumcised our sinful nature. No work done to our body can do that. The Jewish contingent would have everyone follow their purification rituals. But Paul said, Jesus nailed those to the cross. Paul tries to put an end once and for all to this notion that full revelation can be found under some combination of old and new covenant. He insists that the fullness of our life is found in Christ Jesus alone. And he finally caps his argument with this one final paragraph. Please turn, if you would, to Colossians 2. I'll be reading, starting in verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why do you submit, submit to its rules? It's as if you belong to the world. Don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He's saying, no force of will, no self-control, no personal effort will ever buy us freedom from our body. It is Christ alone who buries the will of our flesh. And those verses bring us to today's scripture text, which is Colossians 3, 1 through 11. But before we read that, I have a story for you. Imagine you're a refugee from a war-torn country. Things have gone terribly wrong. Even more wrong than war can go. And you need to evacuate from your home country immediately. You and 822 other men, women, and children were saved by being packed into a massive, overfilled Boeing C-17 Globemaster III on August 15 of last year. Everyone is clamoring, even fighting, to get on board. Though you're sad to leave your homeland behind, you've also heard great things about this new country you're headed to. And think of how great it may be to go to this new land. But when you're actually, when you actually get there, you find it's the same thing you had before, just rebranded. You're lost in this new place, but at least you've still found a few friends and family from back home to make you feel at home. Quickly, you start to figure out 
how to make your old culture fit into this new land. Yeah, it's not so bad here. In fact, the, we the weather is definitely nicer here. The people seem nice as well, but you don't even speak their language, so you keep to yourself. In time, you've carved out a slightly new, slightly better life for yourself. You've cloistered yourself in this little ghetto with those whom you are comfortable. However, one day, a woman comes around. Paula speaks your language, but you don't recognize her skin tone. She tells you that while you live in a tiny room, mansions are available to you. But within your culture, you're brought, you brought the solid concept that you get what you work for. Your current condition is no big deal because you will work your way to better circumstances. Hard work and discipline will be the way you'll make it in your new surroundings. Sure, you're in a new land, and it's a great place to be, but you haven't even experienced this new land because you've recreated your old country inside this new one. It functions because just about everything functions under the grace and freedom given by this land's great leader. But Paula tells you that you can actually meet with the king whenever and as often as you want. Paula even set up an appointment. Everyone always needs an appointment to start, start with because they're too timid at first. But you learn that you are actually always able to talk to this king at any time without an appointment. Sometimes it's massive groups of people all at once. But he always see, sees everyone. And when you confer with others afterward, everyone reports feeling like they were the only one in the room. What's also interesting is that once these people have gotten all they need from the king, you'd think they'd leave and not bother the king for a while. But they keep coming back. And they don't just come back with more requests. They're contending to contented with spending time in his presence. Through your time with the king and with Paula, you've real, come to realize that your old way of doing things is hampering your experience in this new land. Your old rules made so much sense when you were living under them. They seemed to work before you embraced this new citizenship you realized you were living under restrictive rules that helped keep order in an old country, but that's all they did. While hampering evil, they also hampered freedom. The king shows you his life and his mansions and his capital and the countryside. He says you can take part in all of this 
In fact, as a citizen, it is all already yours. The citizens of this land live differently. You see how prosperous these people are in this new land. But you don't have the first inclination about where to start to act like these people. They operate under different rules that seem to flow from the very nature of its leaders. While it makes no sense to you, it works for them. You've been in this land trying to do things your own way for all this time, but Paula says you need to put to death the past. Your old rules, your old way of life are broken and what brought you and are what brought you to this new land in the first place. Why are you living as, as a citizen of that old country when you're granted citizenship here? You realize your old friends, the people you were comfortable with, had twisted the rules of this new country to gain a sense of authority. And that was leaving you unable to take advantage of all the abundance and opportunity. But with help from Paula and this new relationship with the king, you finally dive in to this new culture and truly embrace the culture that this king has created. Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sinful immorality, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such thing, of things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all, and is in all. died to your body. You died and your body doesn't even know it yet. And some of the people around you aren't aware either. Sometimes it can take a little while to reorient ourselves to this new reality. We have become first and foremost citizens of heaven. All of our operations that do not hold to that reality will be fruitless waste burned in the fire. 
Paul lists the nature of our earthly body. The scholars believe believe that the idea of idolatry only applies to greed, but also that greed is at the root of all the other aspects of our sinful nature listed in this chapter. The desire for things that aren't ours, sexual relations outside of the covenant of marriage, desire for things that shouldn't be the desire of anyone. Through this idolatry, we place something of God in place of Jehovah God, breaking what Jesus says is the most important commandment. And then we go on breaking the second commandment by our actions towards others. Love of neighbor does not look like anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. We share these same issues with the people of Colossae. But do we also place other idols between us and God? And these other idols are perfectly fine being set up right next to other gods. They can live in harmony with God. If we give them some time, they're perfectly satisfied. But God gets all bent out of shape. It doesn't work for him. Why can't he share that space like the other gods? Well, those are idols are fine because they aren't real to begin with. Personal satisfaction, money, or Buddha statues are not real gods. We sure may bow down to them as if they are, but we're giving esteem that only that is only deserved by God when we do. That is why he's upset, because nothing deserves our devotion but God. And on the second count, we slander the image of God when we abuse our neighbor. When we do these things, we are not operating as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We've lost connection with Christ. We are living as if we are citizens here. We need to claim our heavenly citizenship and live as if we are indeed raised with Christ. Paul suggests the, the people of Colossae put on their new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. That new self is a person who is not defined in earthly categories. It's not defined by culture, whether Greek or Jew. It's not defined by religion, whether circumcised or not. It's not defined by nationality, whether barbarian or Scythian. And it certainly isn't defined by economics, whether slave or free. Sure, these groups still exist, but they divide us in no way in the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, we are all the same. To separate into categories is to operate in an earth manner. Our kingdom is not of this world, 
should act like, like that, seeking the seed of Jesus before we act. Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are citizens of a kingdom we cannot yet see. Make no mistake, it is more real than us meeting in this building. Would you please stand? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. And whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Please go forth into this week, claiming your holy citizenship, not bogged down by the traditions of man, but set free by the circumcision of your heart, made possible through the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Christ Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. Have a great week.